In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. Sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. You know, in the world of finance, I always advocate for smart investments and sound financial decisions. So when it comes to personal grooming, I apply the same principles. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. <laughs> Today's podcast is sponsored by Raycon. Raycon started half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. For a limited time, you can get up to 20% off your Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash gold. The podcast is also sponsored by Bambi. HR managers ain't cheap. Their salaries average $70,000 a year. So go to Bambi.com gold to schedule your free HR audit. Yesterday, President Biden did exactly what I said he would do on this podcast. He renominated Jerome Powell to a second term as Fed chair, and he also elevated Lyle Brainerd to vice chair. And that's also a prediction that I made because there are a lot of people in the Democratic Party who are pushing for Lyle Brainerd to get the top spot. But as I said on the podcast, I did not think there was any reason for President Biden politically to rock this boat or change horses midstream because there really wasn't any upside for him in doing that. And he has plenty of political cover in case something goes wrong. So if Biden were to go out on a limb and make a switch and go with Brainerd, and then if something happens, something goes wrong, which something is going to go wrong, most likely. So it's going to hit the fan. And if it hit the fan with Brainerd at the helm, well, Biden would own it. People could say, oh, the reason that the economy went off a cliff, the reason that inflation is running out of control, it's all because you put Brainerd in as Fed chairman. Whereas if everything falls apart under Powell's watch, well, Biden can simply say, well, it's not my fault. I mean, Powell was Trump's guy. I just left him in power because he was already there and there was bipartisan support, you know, there probably wouldn't be bipartisan support for Brainerd. It would probably be just the Democrats that would be confirming. But with Powell in there, Biden knows he's going to get a lot of Republican senators on board. But he can also say, look, I preferred somebody else, but I didn't want to risk upsetting the markets. I wanted everything to be stable. I wanted continuity. Everybody was telling Biden, hey, leave Powell in place. Let him finish the job he started, right? So he's got plenty of cover if things go wrong just to say, hey, Trump tied my hands. I was just doing what everybody thought was right. So there is no negative to Biden if things go wrong and Trump's guy is at the helm, right? But if he substitutes his own person, then he owns it. It's all on him. Meanwhile, if things go well under Powell, well, he claims credit. Hey, I renominated him. I did a good job. I'm not partisan. He was a good guy and I left him alone. So he still gets the credit. Same thing as if he replaces Powell with 
Brainerd and things go well, well, he gets credit for that too. So he gets credit either way. So there's no reason to go out on a limb when he can just make the safe choice of Powell. And so that's what he did. But what's crazy about this news announcement, which really shouldn't have surprised anybody, was the way the markets reacted to the news. Because as soon as the news came out, and it was pre-market, you got a big sell-off in the price of gold. In fact, over the last two days, Gold has dropped $60 an ounce on the news that Powell's going to get a second term. We've recovered a little bit off the lows. I mean, maybe about 10 bucks or so, not much. As I'm recording this podcast just after the close of uh, the U.S. stock market on Tuesday, gold's off about 13 bucks, 17.92. So back below 1800, we had been above 1850 before the news of Powell's renomination silver took an even bigger shellacking down about a dollar 25 at the lows also there was a big rise in the dollar index back above 96.50 although slightly down on the day today but this is the highest the dollar index has been of this move also a big two-day backup in bond yields interest rates rising on the renomination of Powell. Stock market, though, in general liked it, Dow moving higher, but the NASDAQ declining for two consecutive days because of the tech stocks. The high multiple tech stocks are reacting negatively to the idea that Powell has been renominated because now all of a sudden, Powell, the guy who's been there, right, the entire time, almost four years, the architect of this Reckless monetary policy, 0% interest rates, huge quantitative easing, inflation is transitory, there's nothing to worry about. The same guy who brought us to this inflation party, we're going out with the same guy again, and everybody now is celebrating that somehow this massive dove has become a hawk. All of a sudden, everybody's excited that Powell is going to fight inflation in his second term. Right, He didn't fight it at all in his first term. He spent his first term lighting inflation fires. Why anybody believes he's going to put out those fires in his second term is beyond me. I mean, how could anybody who was buying gold two days ago because they were worried about inflation? And one of the main reasons to be worried about inflation was because Powell was chairing the Federal Reserve. And Powell had made clear that the Fed is doing nothing about inflation. They think it's transitory anyway. And so they're going to keep on slowly tapering their asset purchase program. And maybe by the middle of next year, they'll finally get around to some tiny quarter point rate hikes. If you were worried about inflation and you were buying gold a couple days ago, why are you suddenly no longer worried about inflation and dumping your gold? because Powell has been renominated. Now, yes, it would have been slightly worse had Powell not been renominated, and instead Brainerd would have been given the go-ahead to take over as Fed chair, but she is not that much more dovish than Powell. I mean, Powell's not a hawk, and so simply because we didn't replace one dove with an even bigger dove doesn't mean that the dove that's still there is going to turn into a hawk and suddenly start fighting inflation. He's not. I mean, if anything, the FOMC is now even more dovish or will be more dovish once Brainerd becomes vice chair than it is right now because the current vice chair of the Fed is Richard Clarida. And Clarida, I guess, is also one of the more dovish members, although he's closer to the middle of the pack, if you look at all the people on the FOMC. Now, nobody is a hawk. I mean, if you're trying to look at a scale from dove to hawk, I mean, you really can't even have hawk on this scale. It's really degrees of dovishness. And I think other than Neil Kashkari, Lyle Brainerd is the most dovish FOMC member. She is certainly more dovish than the guy who's there now, Clarida. So, If you were worried about inflation and the current FOMC, you should be even more worried or slightly more worried as a result of this change than you are right now. Yet the market is acting as if everything has changed 
and now we're going to have this tough on inflation Fed. And why is that? Well, maybe because later in the day, after Biden issued the announcement of these appointments and reappointments, he called a press conference. And again, it's not really a press conference because nobody took any questions from the press. Everybody just reads a statement and then they leave. So again, there's no purpose in doing this. Why bring all these reporters into a room where they potentially could catch or spread COVID if you're not going to take any questions. But again, this is all the charade of the Biden administration trying to create the false impression that there are actually press conferences going on when there's just speeches disguised as press conferences. But all three of the individuals who spoke, which was the president, Joe Biden, Fed Chair Powell, and Fed Vice Chair nominee Brainerd, everybody talked about inflation and their commitment to get rid of inflation, fight inflation. And I think it was the articulation of that commitment that maybe got the market to think, aha, in the second term, that's when the Fed is going to turn around and really start fighting inflation. So maybe they're going to taper the asset purchases even quicker. So maybe they're going to finish a couple of months sooner than we thought. And so maybe these itsy bitsy, teensy weensy rate hikes that we're expecting in the middle of 2022, maybe they'll come a couple months earlier. I mean, that's about all you could get, but somehow that meant a much tighter policy. So sell gold, buy dollars, sell treasuries. But none of this makes sense because even if you believe that these statements, anti-inflation, which you know they're going to make because politically they have to say they're against inflation because inflation is all over the news. It's what everybody is complaining about. So even if they have no intention of doing anything about it, they have to at least create the pretense that that's what they're going to do. So you wouldn't expect anything less. But even if as a result of this tough talk on inflation, they actually do taper a little bit quicker and raise rates a little bit sooner, who cares? Because even a quicker pace is meaningless in the face of what's going on. We already have at least 7% inflation if you believe the government numbers, probably 14% inflation if you use real numbers, meaning at least the government numbers that were used back in 1980. Just take the same CPI that we used back then and plug today's numbers into yesterday's CPI. And I think you're looking at 14%. So we have serious inflation. In order to rein this inflation in the 1970s or by 1980, rates had to go to 20%. I mean, all we're talking about is a couple of rate hikes. We won't even raise rates up to 1%. So why should this make any difference to an inflation rate this high. I mean, if you could fight inflation with 1% interest rates, well, why didn't we do that in the 1970s? It's because you can't, especially when inflation is already as bad as it is right now. And by the way, it will be even worse by the middle of 2022 when they finally get around to supposedly raising interest rates if they actually do it. Meantime, how does slowing down the rate of quantitative easing amount to inflation fighting when any quantitative easing by definition is creating even more inflation, right? You can't put out a fire by pouring less gasoline on it because any gasoline you pour on the fire is going to make it bigger. That's all the Fed is claiming it's going to do. It is not talking about ending QE right now. And more importantly, to actually fight inflation, we need quantitative tightening. See, the Fed did that for a little while before 2018 when they halted the process. They would have to resume that only with a lot more urgency because we have a much bigger inflation problem than we had back then. And so the Fed really has to shrink its balance sheet. It's got to shrink the money supply to withdraw all the liquidity that it unleashed into the economy, which is the reason that prices are rising. It has to reverse that process it is not talking about reversing that process. In fact, as President Biden was talking about how much he wants Powell to tackle the inflation problem, we know that's all talk. 
That's not what he wants Powell to do at all. I mean, remember, that's what Donald Trump said, right? He initially said that he wanted an independent Fed chairman. The reason he didn't renominate Janet Yellen, Janet Yellen was very popular, but Trump didn't renominate her. Again, I made the point that Trump ran an entire campaign bashing Janet Yellen. Biden didn't say anything negative about Powell when he was running. All of his bashing was against Trump. He had nothing negative to say about Powell. In fact, maybe he liked Powell because for a while, Trump and Powell were at odds. In fact, Donald Trump said that Powell was public enemy number one because he raised interest rates, when supposedly that's why Powell was nominated because Trump criticized Yellen for not raising interest rates and trying to do political things to prop up the economy to make Obama look good. And supposedly he was going to be a different kind of president and he didn't need artificial help. But of course, as soon as he became president, he demanded even more because he wanted negative interest rates. So I'm sure to the extent that Powell actually did something that was seen as hurting the economy, rate hikes that were causing people to lose jobs. I'm sure that Biden's support for Powell would evaporate just as quickly. And in fact, I'm sure in any conversations that they might have had surrounding this renomination, I'm pretty sure Biden is confident that that's not going to happen. In fact, if Biden believed that Powell and the Fed were going to fight inflation, they would be calling off the Build Back Better bill. Because the only way that that Build Back Better bill can be law and be paid for is if the Fed is not fighting inflation. The Fed has to create additional inflation to make the Build Back Better bill possible. In fact, they have to create additional inflation to pay for the infrastructure bill that has already passed, is already law right now. There is no way to finance that bill and fight inflation because the only way to finance that bill is for the Fed to monetize the resulting deficits. If the Fed doesn't do that, interest rates would be soaring. And even though the yield on the 10-year and the 30-year bond have risen on the news that Powell is going to be reappointed, the yields are still ridiculously low. The 10-year is still below 1.7. It closed today at one spot six six seven. The 30-year has now gotten back above 2%, but just barely at 2.023%. That's a 30-year bond. So clearly, nobody expects any kind of serious inflation fighting. Nobody expects the Fed to completely exit the asset purchase program. I mean, if the Fed tapered to zero, there's no way the private sector would finance all these deficits without the help of the Fed. I don't know why no one has put two and two together that what the Fed is promising is impossible because there is no private source of financing and foreign central banks, they're not going to do it either. But if Powell really wanted the Fed to fight inflation, he would have to call off these programs. In fact, if the Fed intended to fight inflation, they would have to tell the president and Congress, hey, we're not going to pay for this. You need higher taxes or you need to cut spending because we're not going to finance these deficits. The fact that none of that is actually happening is more proof that this is all talk, that there is no intention on anybody's part to do anything about inflation. It's just that they can't admit that, especially now that the public sees inflation as a problem. So they have to at least pretend that they're going to do something about it. It's never too early to start shopping for the holidays, especially today, because you can save big on a gift they'll use every day. Raycon wireless earbuds. I use mine when I'm listening to podcasts, but you can also use them when you're working out. You can take them outdoors. You can go for walks. You can listen without disturbing any of the people around you. So whether you use them to pump up, wind down, work or work out, 
Raycons are your go-to for audio on the go. That's why I've teamed up with Raycon, and for a limited time, you can unlock up to 20% off your Raycon order at buyraycon.com gold. With seamless Bluetooth pairing and a comfortable noise-free fit, you can start listening right away and keep listening for hours. The audio quality is amazing, comparable to what you get from other premium brands, except Raycon start at half the price. The new everyday earbuds come with three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass. You've got my favorite, Pure Mode, which is great for podcast listening, also blues and instrumentals. You got Balance Mode, also good for podcasts, but rock and heavy metal, and Bass Mode, which is great for hip-hop and reggae. Raycon offers eight hours of playtime and 32-hour battery life. There's also a built-in mic that lets you take calls on your earbuds with the press of a button, which is great for me because I get a lot of calls. Raycon started half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. So this holiday season, get them something they'll actually use for calls and music for work or play at home or on the go. And while you're at it, pick up a pair for yourself. Trust me, you're going to use them every day. Go to buyraycon.com slash gold today to unlock exclusive deals of up to 20% off your Raycon order. But hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time and you don't want to miss out. That's buyraycon.com slash gold. But getting back to the market reaction to the Powell nomination, I suppose one other reason that the markets reacted positively, it was, I guess, a sigh of relief that it didn't get worse. You know, there's an old expression, the devil you know, right? And that's what we got rather than Brainerd, who might be the devil we don't know, except we know that devil pretty well. In fact, we know all of the people on the FOMC. It would have been different if Powell had really stretched the envelope and picked somebody out of left field, right? But he didn't do that. And I don't think anybody even thought that that kind of pick was even a possibility. He was pretty much drawing from that bench of players, but to the extent that he didn't go even more dovish, right? We didn't get an even bigger dove than the dove we got right now. Is that somewhat bearish for gold or somewhat bullish for the dollar? I suppose in the grand scheme of things, but it's not bullish for the dollar. It's slightly less bearish for the dollar. It's not bearish for gold. It's slightly less bullish. But if you were bullish on gold or if you were worried about inflation, and you were buying gold prior to Powell's renomination, there is no reason to sell it now. It's the same guy. It's the same policy. Now, could the policy have gotten even more reckless under Brainerd? Sure. But it's already so off the charts reckless that even if we went a little further off, it doesn't matter. Gold is still dramatically underpriced with Powell at the helm. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Grainger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So even if it's more underpriced with Brainerd, the fact that Brainerd's not going to be chair, she's going to be the vice chair, doesn't amount to any difference at all. Certainly no reason for the price to go down $60. Again, I think the reason that you see these short-term moves in the market is traders. It's just leverage. It's just stops. This is all a bunch of noise. And I think ultimately you could just throw this out. I mean, the media can react to these movements and look at this as some kind of thumbs up, right? The market is blessing this move. 
but nothing is being blessed. It's simply traders reacting reflexively. It's maybe computer algorithms and the leverage in the market, the automatic stops that get hit, the trends, all that, it's a bunch of noise. But what it's really done is created yet another buying opportunity in both gold and silver for people who are rightly concerned about inflation and who recognize that nothing has changed by leaving everything the same. That all of a sudden, the guy who's been in charge at the Fed and who has been in denial about inflation, wrong about everything, that this same guy being renominated is a game changer. That now all of a sudden, we don't have to worry about inflation, that all the problems have been solved because the same guy that's been part of the problem is now suddenly part of the solution. In fact, one of the most revealing comments was one made by Lyle Brainerd when she said that she was looking forward to working with Chair Powell to build a durable U.S. recovery. You see, there's the problem. The Federal Reserve can't build anything, let alone a durable U.S. recovery. The way we have a durable recovery is for the Fed to stay away. You see, when you have these central bankers who act as central planners and think it's their job to build a recovery, the only thing they actually build are asset bubbles and big government, which interfere with a recovery. What they do is they replace a recovery with a bubble. We don't want the Federal Reserve thinking that they can micromanage the economy. We don't need them to build the recovery. We need the free market to build the recovery. But to do that, we need this Federal Reserve to stay out of it. The Federal Reserve simply needs to provide the market with sound money and allow a real rate of interest to be discovered in the market. That was the original purpose of the Federal Reserve, not to micromanage the economy, not to act as central planners. But that's exactly what Lyle Brainers said she wants to do when she wants to help build a durable recovery. It's not the government that builds recoveries, and it's certainly not the Federal Reserve. It's the free market. It's entrepreneurs. It's the capitalists that left alone build durable recoveries. It's governments that interfere with the market that screw them up. And instead of durable recoveries, we get boom and bust cycles because all the Fed could do is inflate a bubble that inevitably pops. Also, following up on yesterday's announcement that he was reappointing Jerome Powell to show that he's serious about fighting inflation, today President Biden announced that the U.S. would be releasing oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in order to bring down gasoline prices. And apparently this is part of a coordinated effort among major energy-consuming nations, including China, India, Japan, South Korea, and the UK. They're all going to be somehow selling oil from their strategic reserves. Now, despite this announcement, today the price of oil actually rose by almost $2 a barrel. I think it's settled at $78.50, up a buck seventy-five. We're below $80 a barrel But I don't think we're going to be below 80 for long. In fact, I think this is exactly what the oil exporting nations would like to see is their major customers depleting their strategic reserves, because that means when the prices really go up, we're not going to have any way to combat that. In fact, if there actually is a true shortage of oil in the future, we'll have no spare reserves to try to alleviate that shortage. Because what's happening now is not a shortage of oil. It is a surplus of money. Again, if Biden really was serious about fighting inflation, he would stop creating it. He would stop running these huge deficits, which the Federal Reserve is printing. It's his policies of big spending, and he is advocating for even more with the Build Back Better bill. If that bill becomes law, that will put even more upward pressure on oil prices. And in fact, if we end up blowing through our reserves now, think about how much more valuable those reserves would have been had we actually held on to them. Because oil prices have got a long way to go up because the Fed is not done printing. There's still a lot of money to be printed because there's a lot of government to be financed which means oil prices are headed much higher. And this is all 
just a political ploy. In fact, I'm not even sure why Powell is doing this so soon because we're probably going to blow through the reserves long before the midterm elections. And so whatever positive impact this might have had at the pump will probably be lost by the time that frustrated voters go to the polls. When you're running a business, it's the HR issues that can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, discrimination, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and those HR manager salaries ain't cheap at an average of $70,000 a year. That's where Bambi comes in, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bambi was created especially for small business owners. You get a dedicated HR manager who will craft HR policy and maintain your compliance and do it all for just 99 bucks a month. And with Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to one of your biggest strengths. You get a dedicated HR manager who is available by phone, email, or real-time chat for anything from onboarding to terminations. They'll customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day. And again, they'll do it all for just 99 bucks a month. And the best part, it's month-to-month, no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. So go to Bambi.com gold right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com gold, spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash gold. I want to mention something that I thought was interesting Because a little bit before the announcement, Bitcoin really spiked higher. I mean, it was trading down around 56,000 and then had a huge rally. And by the time the announcement came out, I think it was back above 59,000. And I remember when I saw Bitcoin spiking up on no news, it seemed weird to me that it would have such a big spike out of the blue, although that does happen from time to time in Bitcoin. But then the news came out and markets reacted. And it almost made me think that maybe some people in the Bitcoin community who have close ties to Washington, maybe they got the heads up that this announcement was coming and they just bought Bitcoin to try to pump it up into the announcement so small traders would see Bitcoin reacting positively to the news that Powell was being renominated. Because after all, one of the guys in charge of all the inflation creating, and if you're marketing Bitcoin as a store of value and an alternative to gold, right? and you're saying that we need to buy it because the Fed is printing all this money, they're saying, hey, we're reappointing the printer-in-chief, so that should be a continuation of this bad monetary policy, so you should buy Bitcoin. They ramped it up, and then I think the people who helped ramp it up are the ones who sold into the rally because then Bitcoin spent most of the rest of the day going back down. In fact, going below 56,000, I think it got to about 55,000, maybe seven, 800 on the lows, but it did go below where it was before the pump pre-PAL announcement. And I think this is kind of the opposite of what was going on in gold because gold immediately went down as soon as the announcement hit. You had people dumping gold. And I think that created an opportunity to buy, but the opportunity in Bitcoin was to sell because Bitcoin ramped before the announcement and for an hour or two after the announcement, it was still 59,000 or something like that. So even as gold was selling off, people were buying into Bitcoin, believing that somehow the news was bullish for Bitcoin, even though it was bearish for gold. And then you had a lot of the people who took advantage of the opportunity and they sold their Bitcoin and it went back down and took out the lows from earlier in the morning. Now, today, Bitcoin rallied again. I think there was some news later in the day about some legislation, about how banks would be allowed to incorporate cryptocurrency into their businesses, whether they were going to act as custodians or how they could do it or under what regulatory framework. So something that was going to potentially open up the door for financial institutions, bank to have some type of involvement in Bitcoin or other cryptos. And I think that caused a rally because early this morning, Bitcoin was back down around 56,000 again. 
and then it rallied back up over 58,000 as a result of that news, even though a lot of other speculative assets have been coming under pressure over the last couple of days. Again, as I said, a lot of these high-flying stocks have been taking a hit. Look at Zoom Video today, another one of the darlings of the stay-at-home stocks. That was down 15%. The high on Zoom Video this year was $486 a share. We closed today at 206 so well over 50% below the highs. Again, people pile into these stocks during COVID as if people were always going to stay at home and do all their conferences on Zoom. Meanwhile, there are a lot of other ways to video conference. Zoom has got a lot of competition. It's not like they've got this whole business to themselves, and they still had a very high multiple based on revenues that were only temporarily boosted by COVID. And again, people just piled into these stocks. So a lot of these other high-flying stocks coming down, retailers also getting pummeled. Best Buy was down over 12% today, well off the intraday lows. They came out with earnings today, but one of the reasons that their earnings missed was they had to report all these losses due to theft. And this is an ongoing problem. You know, I was reading an article. In fact, I tweeted it out today. And this is not the first article of this type that I've read. But it has to do with all the mass looting going on in California, thanks to the fact that in California, they dramatically reduced the threshold, I guess, for which shoplifting would be prosecuted. If you steal less than a certain amount, I don't know, maybe less than $1,000 per day, whatever it is, it's no longer a crime. So, of course, California sent the wrong message to criminals that, hey, if you steal just a little bit of money, you're not going to get in trouble. Now, there are a lot of Americans who don't steal because it's wrong, right? In fact, I think most Americans are honest in that respect. And the reason they don't steal is because they know it's wrong. But there's a minority of the population, and unfortunately, I think that minority is larger than it used to be, who only steal because they are worried that they're going to get caught, meaning that if they knew they would get away with it, they would steal for sure. Now, those are the people for which these laws are really meant, right? Because you have to have some deterrent to prevent people who don't have any respect for private property from stealing. And they don't know right from wrong. And I think one of the reasons that we have a generation of Americans who really don't know right from wrong and don't have any problem with stealing is because of the socialist philosophy that the country has. You know, back in the day when we were a nation of rugged individuals who respected each other's privacy and private property, we all knew that theft was wrong. But when you have a generation of Americans who feel entitled to something for nothing, when people think the government owes them money, owes them a living, they should get free health care, free education, free this, free that. Well, if you believe that you're entitled to stuff, that you don't have to earn it, that you just get it, well, then why not steal? I mean, if you want something, why not just take it? Because that's really what socialism is all about. It's about the government stealing on your behalf. I mean, if it's okay for you to vote for a politician to steal from your neighbor and then give the money to you, why can't you just cut out the middleman and steal directly? I mean, if it's not wrong to steal through government, then why is it wrong to just steal without government? I mean, why do you need the government's involvement? I mean, that is the problem. I mean, for people who understand the immorality of the current system, It is immoral to steal, and it is also immoral to hire the government to steal for you. And of course, it's not only immoral, it's unconstitutional. But obviously, very few people today care about the Constitution, obviously, or they wouldn't be demanding all of these government benefits. But once you create a society in which people feel entitled to the productivity of others, that they feel that they have a right to enjoy the fruits of somebody else's labor, well then, what's wrong with theft? Nothing. You've blurred that moral line. So there are a lot of people that don't even have a problem with stealing. The only reason they're not stealing is because they have a problem with jail, right? They don't want to go to jail, and so they're not stealing. But when you send out a message, hey, we're not going to prosecute you if you steal, well, 
That's what they're going to do. And this is creating an even bigger problem for the brick and mortar stores because the online guys don't have this problem. And you can't shoplift at Amazon. I mean, you can buy stuff and not pay for it, right? Or basically buy stuff and try to return it. But that's not a problem that is nearly as widespread as what's going on in the brick and mortar. By and large, there's not that much theft online. Sure, there's some small amount of it, but if you look at some of these videos, look at what just happened at Nordstrom's at Walnut Creek. And by the way, as I'm recording this podcast, I'm noticing that Nordstrom's is trading down 20% in after hours. Their earnings came out and they missed mainly because of higher costs, particularly labor costs. I'm sure theft also worked its way in there, but I think there was something like 20 or 30 cars. They all coordinate. They show up at one time. They run in there. They steal a bunch of stuff. They run out. I mean, these are coordinated attacks on retail establishments, and this is driving up the costs to the retailers because now the honest people who are actually paying for the stuff that they're walking out the store with, they need to cover the losses on all the stuff that gets stolen. This stuff isn't free. Somebody has to cover the cost. And so the retailers have to be able to recover the cost of what's stolen from the people who actually pay. But now the problem is you have to raise prices so high to cover your theft losses that you can't compete with the online retailers who don't have theft losses to cover. Now, some people might think, well, they have this covered by insurance. Okay, well, insurance isn't free. These companies are putting in a lot of insurance claims. Well, now their insurance premiums are going to go way up. In fact, some of these insurance companies may just say, look, we're not even going to cover these losses anymore because we know that they're going to be there. So we're no longer going to provide the coverage. In fact, a lot of these retailers have announced store closings. And of course, where are a lot of the stores being closed? In areas that are more prone to shoplifting. And what are those areas? Well, a lot of the inner cities. And you know, one of the reasons that the police are no longer cracking down on shoplifting is because they don't want to be racist. Because apparently, I guess a lot of the people or a disproportionate number of people who were getting arrested for shoplifting happen to be minorities or African-Americans. And so they don't want to appear racist. So now they're just not going to arrest shoplifters. Well, who now gets hurt by this policy? Well, African-Americans. Because if you're African-American and you're in a community where unfortunately other African-Americans were stealing stuff, but now those African-Americans who are stealing are no longer being arrested and now they're stealing more. And now the stores that you used to shop at are having to go out of business, right? Because they couldn't arrest the shoplifters. So now the stores are closed or they have to dramatically raise their prices you're the one that's suffering. The vast majority of African-Americans in these communities are not criminals. They are not shoplifting, but they are now paying the price because these ridiculous politicians don't want to appear racist. And now they're refusing to arrest those African-Americans who are committing crimes. And now all the innocent ones are the ones that have to suffer because now they have higher prices to pay or they don't even have the stores in their communities. So now they have to maybe drive to another community. Maybe they don't even have a car so they can't get there. And so the entire neighborhood suffers. And a lot of these brick and mortar stores paid taxes in these neighborhoods. Now they're shutting down. So now the tax revenue is not going to be there. The whole neighborhood goes to hell because the police are afraid to do their job. In fact, Part of the reason that we had the situation with Kyle Rittenhouse is because the police didn't want to do their job. So you had some private citizens that stepped up to try to protect life and property because the cops were too afraid to do it. And then, of course, the media, the whole reason that those riots took place was that the media misrepresented what happened in Kenosha. And by deliberately misrepresenting it, they create the false impression of some racist act on the part of the cops. 
and they create the environment in which you have all this protest that turn into looting and rioting. And now you have some people that come and try to protect property and try to do the right thing. And then that young man ends up being vilified by the same media that is responsible for the circumstances that he found himself in. In fact, I thought it was ridiculous. I was listening on MSNBC. And the only reason I even tuned in to MSNBC was to hear their coverage of the Rittenhouse acquittal. And, you know, I've never heard so much racism in my life until I listen to MSNBC. Of course, it's all racism against whites. Every commentator who I was listening to who was black was basically saying horrible things about white people and lumping all white people together, right? We're all one big giant block and we all think the same. We all act the same. And somehow that this verdict was a victory for white people, that it was a victory for white supremacists, right? That now it's open season, that white people have carte blanche to gun down innocent black people in the streets. I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what they were saying. I mean, if there were white people, let's say on Fox News, that were saying the same type of stuff about black people, they'd be fired in a second. There'd be an outrage demanding that they get fired. In fact, one person I listened to was talking about Kyle Rittenhouse and just calling him a white boy. Hey, this white boy, you know, I mean, and the way they were saying it, I mean, you could tell it was very derogatory the way we're throwing the term white boy around. But a lot of these people were somehow blaming Rittenhouse for the problem. Like he instigated all the violence by showing up with his gun. The violence was already there. He brought his gun to protect himself. He wasn't instigating the violence. The fact that he brought a gun was simply an acknowledgement of how dangerous and violent the situation was into which he interjected himself. And they still talk about him as if he was a racist. Again, the three people that he shot were white, right? That rarely comes up. But the thing that always sticks in my mind, if he really was this trigger-happy racist, I'm sure there were plenty of African-American protesters out that night in Kenosha. He's got his AR-15, right? He's shooting. He's a racist. Why didn't he shoot some of the black people? Why did he only shoot white people to be such a racist? I mean, is he that bad a shot? Obviously, he was targeting people who were attacking him. Didn't matter what color they were. If they were physically threatening him with violence, That's who got shot. And it just so happened that the people who were threatening him, who were attacking him, were white. But their race had nothing to do with Rittenhouse's decision to shoot them. It was just his reflexive response to the threatening situation that he was in. He has to think quickly. He's being attacked and he has a gun. And so he uses it. And any reasonable person in the same situation as Rittenhouse would have done exactly the same thing. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do with a gun. Because without that gun, I mean, Rittenhouse was a sitting duck. I mean, there was a mob of people who were threatening to attack him. There's an old expression for a gun. They call it the great equalizer. Why is it an equalizer? Because if you have a gun, now you have a fighting chance against somebody who is much more powerful than you. The people who should be advocating the most for the Second Amendment and for the private ownership of handguns are women's groups because women, more than men, need an equalizer because pretty much any man can kick the crap out of any woman. Now, I know there's going to be your exceptions. There are some super strong women who know martial arts, but in general, men are much stronger than women. And women don't have a chance against a man in physical combat. But you give a woman a gun, a 110-pound woman with a gun can take down a 250-pound guy. In fact, the 250-pound guy, once he sees the woman pointing a gun at him, may not attack her. He may just move on. But without the gun, what's the woman going to do? She doesn't have a chance. You know, it's interesting because on Sunday... in in Waukesha, you had this crazed guy who happened to be African-American, but his race is irrelevant. Although if he were white, I'm sure 
his race would be an important part of the story. But since he's not white, he's black, it's barely mentioned. I mean, in fact, I didn't even know he was black until I saw his picture because the article had to do with the fact that he was arrested. And so they had to show a picture. And so then I knew he was black. But the guy just killed five people and injured 40 others. I don't know if the death toll has been increased since I initially read the stories. But the guy mass murdered all these people. But the weapon he used was his car, right? He did not have a gun. He just ran over people with a car. And I've made this analogy myself many times. And of course, I never want to be insensitive to the people who were murdered by this individual. Although that doesn't stop people on the left from exploiting every tragedy to advance their own socialist agenda. But despite the fact that this individual killed people with his car, there is no cry for a new law to ban cars, right? Nobody says we need control on automobiles, that these are weapons of mass destruction, that these are basically assault vehicles, and that we should ban cars. I mean, nobody would think of saying that, right? So that's ridiculous. Why ban cars? Just because one person uses cars to kill people. Well, law-abiding citizens don't use cars to kill people. They use cars productively. They use cars for transportation. And so we don't want to take cars away from honest law-abiding people just because some criminals use cars in a different manner. Well, the same thing applies to guns. Now, people will say, but Peter, guns are designed to kill people. No, they're not. Guns are designed to save people. You can use guns to kill people, but the purpose of a gun is to save lives, not take lives. I mean, yes, in a military context, right, soldiers are trying to kill people, but when you purchase a gun for self-defense, you are not buying it because you want to kill people. You're buying that gun and you hope that you never use that gun. In fact, anybody who owns a gun in their home for self-defense hopes and prays they never have to use that gun. There's another old expression, it's better to have a gun and not need it than need a gun and not have it. So the idea is to have a gun, but never actually need to use it. And the purpose of the gun is to save your life and to save your family's life. That's why you bought it. Now, sure, other people can buy guns to kill people, just like other people can buy a car and use the car as a weapon to kill people. But just because some people abuse guns doesn't mean you take away the right of other people who don't abuse guns to own them. Because when guns are used properly, they are a very positive force in society because they reduce crime. Criminals are far less likely to commit a crime if their victims are armed and their victims have a much better chance of surviving if they're armed. Now, I know you could say, well, what if there were no guns at all? Okay, well, if there are no guns, criminals would use knives. I mean, it's not like there wasn't any crime before we had guns. People were getting murdered before we had guns. What guns did is it gave people who weren't quite as strong a better chance of survival. I mean, when you're just fighting with a sword, right, A woman with a sword, I mean, maybe she could be a really good sword fighter, but it's really more about strength. And it's going to be hard for your typical woman to fend off, you know, a 250-pound guy if they're in a sword fight. It's in a gunfight where she's got a better chance. So I think guns were a positive development for self-defense relative to what people had available prior to that. But the analogy, I think, works well because this individual killed five people. He did not need a gun to kill those people. He was perfectly able to kill those people just using his car. And so banning cars makes as much sense as banning guns. And by the way, too, I was watching on YouTube one of these protests in the aftermath of the Rittenhouse acquittal. And this woman had a megaphone and this was terrible. We need a revolution. This is white privilege. This is racist, that the criminal justice system is rigged, that white people can get away with anything, which, again, doesn't make any sense because if white people have such privilege, what about the two white people that Rittenhouse shot? I mean, where's their privilege? 
Where's their justice? If you really think that white people have some special treatment, right, then why didn't that also apply to the white people who got shot? I mean, where's their privilege? I mean, how come the person who supposedly murdered them isn't being held accountable? After all, they're white and they were killed, yet nothing is happening to the person who killed them. See, that's logic. And logic has nothing to do with what's going on because anything that happens is going to be about race and is going to be racism, even if race has absolutely nothing to do with it. But I looked at this woman who was protesting and on her sign, she had the URL for this website that she was promoting for this revolution. So I happened to go to that website so that I could read what they were advocating. And the website was advocating for a communist revolution in America. So they were using the Rittenhouse acquittal as a pretext to advocate for communism. And basically they're saying that, hey, the acquittal of Rittenhouse, see, this shows how dangerous society is, that everybody has to be worried that they're going to get gunned down at any moment by a crazed, trigger-happy white supremacist, when, of course, none of that is true. The people who actually benefit the most from the ability to defend themselves are probably African-Americans living in inner cities who need more than your average white person. They need to protect themselves because they're probably living in a community that has more crime and therefore more of a need for self-defense. But putting all that aside, this woman was trying to sell a crowd on the idea that the answer to the problem of white supremacy and racism, the way that we can have a safer society where people don't have to worry and we could freely walk the streets is to have a communist revolution and embrace communism. In fact, they advocate on this site for a communist dictatorship. And then they have all these Q&As on there where they're trying to explain A, why communism isn't bad, and B, why dictatorships aren't bad. See, it all depends on who the dictator is. See, if you've got a benevolent dictator, if you give all this power to a nice guy that cares about the people, well, then it's no problem, right? But the problem is all of the dictators pretend that they care about the people. They all claim to be benevolent. I mean, that's what the hell happens. But again, there's an old saying, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So even if you get somebody who had intended to help the people, but you entrust them with all that dictatorial power, they never do. They become corrupted by the power and all they do is help themselves. But can you imagine how much more dangerous society would be if we had a communist dictatorship in the United States. I mean, think about all the people throughout history that were murdered by communist dictators. I mean, look at all the people that were killed in the Soviet Union. I mean, Stalin actually killed more people than Hitler. Not that I'm trying to praise Hitler. I'm not. It's just that if you're going to measure who killed the most people, Stalin killed even more. And interestingly enough, if you look at that protest video that I was watching, a lot of the signs had to do with anti-fascism. We need to eliminate fascism. Yeah. And replace it with communism as if that's some kind of an improvement. It's not. Communism is actually worse than fascism. Again, I'm not a fan of fascism either, but on a scale of degree, communism is worse than fascism. And by the way, they are both forms of socialism and they are both on the same side of the political spectrum. They're not opposites, right? The communists want you to think that fascism is the other extreme. It's not. It's on the same extreme where they are. In fact, the reason that communists and fascists are always arguing is because they're basically rival gangs fighting over the same turf. They both believe in big government. They just have different ways of organizing it. In fact, if you understand your history, what does Nazi party stand for? National Socialist Party. The Nazis, Adolf Hitler, was a national socialist, right? That's where it is. The main difference, really, between communism and fascism is under communism, the government actually nationalizes the means of production. So takes ownership of it directly, legally. Under fascism, 
the government doesn't nationalize everything. It nationalizes some things. But most of the businesses, the means of production, are left in private ownership. But what the fascist does is substitutes very aggressive regulation and taxation of those means of production. So the government doesn't own the means of production, but it controls them through regulation and taxation, which is pretty much what we do in the United States. I mean, pretty much every advanced country in the world has pretty much adopted most of the tenets of fascism, where you have the government de facto owning and controlling the means of production through regulation and taxation. It's just that the communists make it official and they remove all the pretense and they physically take ownership. But what the fascists understand is that if you let people believe that they still own their own business, they'll do a much better job of running it for you. So the government ends up collecting more revenue through taxes than it would if it just directly took over the business and now had to run it itself, right? So the fascists are a little bit smarter than the socialists in recognizing the incentives of private ownership, but they still exploit that through taxation and regulation. The opposite of fascism and communism is freedom. I mean, maybe the polar opposite would be anarchy, but I'm not going that far to the other side of the spectrum because that has a lot of problems in and of itself. But the opposite would be limited government, where you have a very small government and maximum individual freedom, which is what we enjoyed at one point in this country. But I agree with these communists that we have fascism in America But the solution isn't to make it worse and to embrace even bigger government by going for communism. The solution is to reject all forms of socialism, be they fascism or communism, and embrace free market capitalism. 